and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We're here with another book review episode. Joining me today is co-host Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. We find ourselves in ancient times once again. <laughs> back, We're back in the annals of history. Uh, the Penguin Little Black Classics collection, for those joining us for the first time, is a collection of 80 pieces of world literature that are relatively short. Each volume is around 50 to 60 pages. Today we'll be covering Circe and the Cyclops, which is just taken from the Odyssey. So we read basically a small chunk of the Odyssey, which is by Homer. It's an ancient Greek epic poem, and we read a couple excerpts from it. Listeners may be familiar with Homer, maybe not, but we'll begin the review as we've recently started to do with just some basic questions. Who, what, and why will be the questions. Amanda, do you want to tackle the who question since, as we just discussed off the air, it is basically unanswerable? Why don't you take that one? Yeah, sure. Thanks for the easy one. Um, Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So they don't know. So the only thing that they say, and by they I mean Wikipedia says about Homer, is that he wrote the Iliad and um, the Odyssey, although that's up for some debate as well but the there's no actual history no knowledge of him there's like no biography or anything just that he was possibly a writer and poet yeah largely or hugely influential i should say and certainly still read very commonly but yeah i suppose as as our research department has learned research department being wikipedia shouts as always go donate to wikipedia (laughs) But as we've learned, there's no definitive answer as to whether this was even a real man or multiple poets or, yeah, if it was even the work of one type of literary genius or if we're just describing it to the sort of representation. We know that these are taken from the oral tradition, though. So in terms of mm-hmm. what we read, we read two chapters or parts of the Odyssey, which is a journey story. It's basically an adventure back home after the Trojan Wars. There's a warrior who I believe is Odysseus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. They don't say his name very often in the poem, oddly <laughs> enough. He's just, he's just the narrator, <laughs> main character. But anyway, so the excerpts we read were about Odysseus, who's trying to get back home because he fought in the Trojan Wars, and he's just trying to return. And essentially, he just meets complications at every every corner of the sea. He's kind of just battling his way across the ocean, faces a lot of fantastical creatures. And the Odyssey is a story that is taught, and with the Iliad too, the other story attributed, the epic poem attributed to Homer, are taught like very widely. I'm not sure if you ever encountered them in school. Um, It's weird because I know of other people who have, but I did not actually have to read the Iliad or the Odyssey in school, weirdly. Yeah, I, I only encountered them in college out of choice. It was be, for a unit or a class. It wasn't part of the mandated reading, but it was sort of recommended supplemental reading for one reason or another that I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure if I finished either. They're pretty big literary endeavors. Yeah. So if you ever get interested in reading the Iliad or the Odyssey, you're in for a long, like relatively dense epic poem. Why do we think these were included then in the collection? As always, we can only speculate But basically, for the reasons we just said, these are two of the oldest pieces of literature that have survived just on Earth, I think. Mm -hmm. And at least the stories they tell, tell of events that are some of the oldest. There's, what's the Sumerian one? Epic of Gilgamesh. That one's, I think, the the oldest, maybe? I'm not actually, I can't confirm that. Again, our research department is a little (laughs) understaffed here on the pod. But it's Epic of Gilgamesh is up there. Um, But these two, in terms of Western canon, Western civilization canon, and English descends from that tradition, we 
attribute some these are some of the oldest stories ever. And so they teach us about Greek values, ancient Greek life, and they are part of a literary tradition that has spanned a long, long time. Beowulf is in that same kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. Again, these are known to be original oral stories. So these were written down at some point by Homer or whoever that is. And now we read them and study them just because they tell us a lot about history, I think. Yeah. Any other thoughts on these, Amanda? I know you said you hadn't really encountered them. Did you ever have to read excerpts for history? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, fair. Really missed out on <laughs> the stuff. I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah, well, there are, and sometimes in history classes, the push to read primary source documents, I don't know if that's a recent trend or phenomenon or something, but I feel like I didn't encounter a lot of old primary source documents in when I was in high school, you know, history classes or what have you. Mm-hmm. Certainly some. Uh, I certainly encountered some, but the other thing about these, as we already mentioned, is the the entire works, the Iliad and Odyssey, are quite long. So I, there aren't many high school classes that are looking to commit to, you know, a 300-page epic poem or something. That's yeah. a huge investment of time for perhaps not as much payoff, you know, when you, if you're in high school class, you basically get a week to teach ancient Greece or something. So you're not going to eat up your entire week reading one thing. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> But we did, although it didn't take <laughs> us nearly that long and we didn't read the whole thing. Let's jump into the traditional uh, review sections now, or the segments. We'll begin with our one-sentence simile reviews of reading these couple of chapters. Amanda, what did you find this to uh, be like when you were reading? Um, I said that reading this is like watching Indiana Jones, the, mm. the movies. And if you haven't seen them, then shame on you. Um Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's lots of adventures. There's some hints at like romance uh, without any actual sex scenes. Um, and uh, the main hero is somebody who is kind of lovable, but also is like not great because he's like cocky and um, full of himself. And there's a lot of like negative things about him. He's very flawed. Yeah. I, <sighs> I was Indiana Jones was not a huge touchstone for me in my childhood. Mm. So I can't remember my early impressions of him, but the, the kind of lovelessness or like sexless, but sex appeal of his character. Cause I, mm-hmm. I do feel like maybe I'm misreading this culturally or something, but he's, I know Harrison Ford is considered a kind of sex icon or a really attractive guy, you know, in his yeah. heyday, but was Indiana Jones, the character as well. That's like a thing people perceive. Oh, for sure. Definitely. But also like even in the movies, he always has a love interest. Oh, okay. That Mm -hmm. is big. Isn't in the second movie. Didn't the director cast his wife or something? I just remember reading stories about the temple of doom movie and people like the romantic interest in that movie was, wasn't an actress or something, man, I'm out of my depth, but (laughs) something like that. I'm not sure. I, I never like got, super into it to where I was okay. uh, doing all that, that kind of research. <laughs> See, and here's where I'm at with it. I've couldn't tell you really much about the movies and somehow I've ended up watching, you know, a YouTube video or reading an article about something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the, I know the surroundings and not the actual story. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. It, it does have that adventure quality to it. My simile is, is similar to yours then though. Also quite different. I put that reading. This was like, kind of listening to a boozed up story for maybe that that stereotypical drunk uncle figure in your family who 
all of his tales are a little too tall and all of the things, all of the deeds he's done are perhaps a little too extreme to be believed. Mm. But, and it kind of feels like that, that rambling story you get over a big meal, fittingly enough for this story where they have a lot of big meals, but <laughs> it, it's just sort of, it goes on maybe a bit too long at times, but the exaggeration makes it kind of fun. And he also plays up the right moments. Again, it's like you, you're getting the drunken version, so it's probably there's probably parts that he's making an in joke you don't understand, or you know he's exaggerating and it gets annoying instead of funny. But for the most part, it's just kind of this romp, and it's you know takes ludicrous turns. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, I think it has that enjoyable quality. I don't know if you have a family member like that. I frankly really don't. Maybe it's me. Maybe that means I'm it. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> is that what that means? I think if you're not, if you don't, if it isn't that the classic, you know, rule of thumb, if it's not, if you don't know the person, it's you in the group, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't feel like you're that way, but uh, yeah, I, I can't spin a yarn like this. That's for sure. <laughs> but I, I think that uh, that's a really fitting description though. Um, because one of the, when I was looking up information about the Odyssey and Homer, one of the things was um, there's, uh, what they like to teach about the Odyssey as well is like to question the narrator and the um, the mm-hmm. authority of the the narrator in a way because yeah. like is he trustworthy? I mean, it's Odysseus telling was a retelling from Odysseus, and he's like, right, is it true. <laughs> Yeah, and he goes out of out of his way in the narrative to boast at times, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes out of the way to compliment his own sort of moral character and courage at times. There are also times when he was self-deprecating, I think, too, maybe a little bit. Um, I'll, I'll actually jump in with one of my quotes. We, we jump into the quotes now in the review. This is where we try and clarify the author's writing style, give a general sense of the work. Oh, did I skip connections? I did skip connections, and I got excited about my quote. Let's, <laughs> let's go in proper order. We've developed a scientific formula to this. I mean, let's not rock the boat too much. Before I jump to my quote, then... Let's make sure we do our connections before the quotes for clarification. We do like to make it relevant for you, the listener, in case you're wondering what the Odyssey could possibly have to do with the year 2020. Do you want to throw out your connection first, Amanda? Sure. Mine was uh, pretty generic. I just said that uh, it's, it's the mentality of just, hey, nothing is my fault. It's, it's fate. It's destiny. It's uh, Jesus wills it or whatever. It's that whole like, lack of agency that um, older generations are complaining about with uh, the younger generations, essentially. Interesting. I don't know what that means at all. I can't think of any (laughs) event in 2020 that people are not taking responsibility for and claiming (laughs) it's not their fault. Maybe I could come up with something, Amanda, but gosh, I'm having a really hard time (laughs) thinking of any events, any happenings this year (laughs) that in any way relate to what you've described. Oh, well, maybe I'll come around. I don't know. I'll try and think (laughs) a little bit harder. (laughs) The one I pulled for my connection is actually terrible for this year because it's an event. It is a, it is a occurrence that basically cannot occur because of social distancing and the way things have closed. But I thought the story had the real feeling of it gets back to that drunk uncle type of logic or vibe, but it reminds me of going out. You, like there was that feeling in your late twenties when you you can still go out and kind of I don't want to say party. Now I sound like an old man. Now I sound like I'm out of my late twenties, which I am. But you know, you're going out like later than you probably should. You're going to like two more bars than you probably should. You should have called it and and you didn't. You just kept on kept the night going. You know, you ate too too many things. You drank too many things, and so it kind of feels like that. 
where it's just a person who just keeps going on even though they know they probably shouldn't. Right. Uh, and it reminded me of that sort of, it has that kind of energy of just this ceaselessness, even though you want to stop, you probably should, but you don't. And, you know, there's kind of this drudgery to it. But then in the end, it's also kind of worth it. I thought that this story just had that energy to it of like, oh, man, we we should really quit, huh? And then they just don't. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's as celebratory as a, as a night out like that, but it certainly had that kind of tone or attitude to it. The character did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at one point, too, um, in on Cersei's Island, right? Mm-hmm. The, it was the guys who, like, had to pull Odysseus away from Cersei and be like, uh, it's been a year. Can we go home now? <laughs> like, Yeah. Quite a time skip. That yeah. was quite a time skip. Yeah, I was going to remark on that. I didn't pull it for a quote, but that was definitely, if you blink, you'll miss that one line where they yeah. say that they stayed there for a year. An entire year. Yeah, yeah. What a commitment to partying. Okay, with that, that's a good segue into the quotes because now we're digging into the text. I, I guess I'll begin since I already since I already jumped the gun and already mentioned a quote that I wanted to pull from my page 14. Yep. There's a moment on this in this story when he gets he is betrayed by his crew, basically. Mm-hmm. And so let me read that quote quickly here. Uh, he's he's basically not being a great, diligent captain, and so they kind of turn on him a little bit. And it reads, quote, A fatal plan, but it won my shipmates over. They loosed the sack and all the winds burst out, and a sudden squall struck and swept us back to sea, wailing in tears, far from our own native land. And I woke up with a start, my spirit churning. Should I leap over the side and drown at once, or grit my teeth and bear it, stay among the living? I bore it all, held firm, hiding my face, clinging tight to the decks, while heavy squalls blasted our squadron back again to Aeolus's island, shipmates groaning hard. I think the quote fits for a couple reasons. The the first of which would be that connection to, that I just made, which is just a night of adventures that does not cease. You know, in this case, it's just years of this person's life when he just can't catch a break and is just stuck trying to endure these things. Yeah. But also, I thought that section or that bit, it shows his characterization. Like you said, the narrative kind of holds him up in a way. He's He's usually the noble one or the clever one or the capable one the hero in in a sense and so it shows that that he you know he's the one who gets betrayed he's the one who has to just grit his teeth and bear it i also think it shows the it's effective reflection but it i think at times it's a bit shallow i don't know i mean it taken as an entire work i bet there's a lot of i don't know interesting depth to his character and motivation but in these segments he was not totally a flat character, but a lot of the times when he wants to explain away something he did or decision he made, it kind of reads like that red, you know, right. where he basically just says, he asks a simple rhetorical question to himself and then he just says, I bore it all held firm, hiding my, you know, it just, it's a pretty quick resolution to his mm-hmm. predicament. Also, it never addresses later if he like punished those guys, I don't think, or if yeah. he condemned them for it or, you know, it, there are moments in the narrative that feel uh, j- jumpy skippy like all of a sudden something is resolved without quite resolving it or it's maybe really quick or convenient so i think the reading had i don't know kind of an odd pace about it i guess is the point i'd make here yeah i think that's a, a great point and even if you know you continued with um this where he goes back to that island where he got the wind in the first place and they like kick him yeah. out because they're right, like, right. obviously you're cursed by the gods. Like, get out of here. I'm not going to help you if you're cursed by the gods. And he's just like, he. the next thing is like, yeah, so we left. Like, that's it. <laughs> right, right. He's like, what? And then some, yeah, yeah. And then some, like we mentioned earlier, when they're on the island with Circe, 
and they are willingly there at that point, not trapped. But yeah, then there's a year time skip and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, well, they must have, you know, really gotten along well and had an interesting year, probably. Yeah, and uh, the so, entire yeah. time he's like sleeping with Cersei. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And maybe the men, too, I don't, who know, or the other men. It's yeah. kind of... Yeah, there are little ambiguities in there. So I think that hopefully that quote showed the the pacing, kind of the tone and the and the character work, which is often good. I don't know if it ever I've ever felt it was amazing, but maybe across the entire long work, there would be enough to it that I would think, wow, that was an incredible portrayal of this man, you know, but yeah. I thought it was just pretty good. Yeah, uh, that was one of the, my points, too, was um, there was a bit of a lack of characterization as far as like, we don't know anything about any of the other sailors no. either. No. Um, he makes a couple of like side comments about a couple of them, like he's the sailor that I trust the most or he's the guy that I definitely want to fight next to me or whatever. Right. And this guy's related yeah. to me and I kind of wanted to stab him because he was saying that I make terrible decisions. Like that was it. <laughs> Right, right. But, did you pull any quotes about him or that character work or anything? Um, so the I did pull one that shows um, for me how they're not actually heroes. And it's from the Cyclops mm-hmm. story. And it says, um, Ismaris, which is the city of the Kikons. There I sacked the town and put the people to the sword. We took their wives and also much booty. Like they just showed up on an island and raided a town and like raped the women and then stole everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's And they're, the story's brutal in small snippets and descriptive ones too. Do you want to just do your other quote then too? Cause there's, there's two forms of brutality here. One in, one in broad summary and one in excruciating, disgusting detail too. Yeah. So the, the one that I just read, I, I pulled because I, I was like, so he's meant to be a hero, but he's obviously like a, not a great person they're almost like pirates in a way so Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a weird feeling you're like i don't really want to cheer for them but like he's supposed to be the hero of his own story it's it's a weird thing and then Mm -hmm. like so the next quote that i have it shows just how brutal these people are and also just the unlike in sinbad the sailor where you don't really get any description of anything there's um, actually quite a bit of description in the Odyssey, which makes it, I think, a lot better than Sinbad um, mm-hmm, in a lot yeah. of ways. But you actually get some detail and you can actually like imagine things in your mind rather than it just being listed off to you. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So in this one, this is when they're tr- um, trapped in the Cyclops' uh, cave and they're trying to get out. So. It says, we drove the sharp end of the beam into the monster's eye and bearing upon it with all my weight, I kept turning it round and round as though I were boring a hole in a ship's plank with an auger till the boiling blood bubbled all over it as we worked it round and round so that the steam from the burning eyeball scalded his eyelids and eyebrows and the roots of the eye sputtered in the fire. And it goes on like there's more description after that. <laughs> it does. It goes on before too. Let me throw my other quote in. We we don't always line up in this way, but I also pulled the quote from the Cyclops scene when they encounter and have to fight him. So let me toss mine in there too, because I pulled it for the same reason you did. It was one of the more vivid and really grotesque parts of the story, but it was, I thought, 
pretty well written. Yeah. And it's my quote says, not a, not a word in reply to that, the ruthless brute. Lurching up, he lunged out with his hands toward my men and snatching two at once, wrapping them on the ground, he knocked them dead like pups. Their brains gushed out all over, soaked the floor. And ripping them limb from limb to fix his meal, he bolted them down like a mountain lion, left no scrap, devoured entrails, flesh and bones, marrow and all. We flung our arms to Zeus. We wept and cried aloud, looking on at his grisly work, paralyzed, appalled. And then, you know, he stuffs his gut and goes on to do what you said. And then they, yeah, your, your quotes from when they kind of get him back. But yeah. it's, you're right. It's immersive in a way you don't want it to be in a gory scene, but you kind of, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to go in on it, you may as well go in on it and mm-hmm. sell the description. I think it's, it's, it was oddly accessible. I don't. It, it was more readable than I remembered. And I don't know if it's just because we build these stories up in our minds because of their historical importance or historic importance, actually. And but anyway, I thought, you know, there's some interesting language in there, but it's also pretty clear. It's a pretty clear scene in that disgusting way. I'm not sure if you thought it was readable, too. I did, actually. I thought actually both chapters that I read were very readable. I was surprised by because I thought that it would be stuffy and stuff like that, especially since I got yeah. mine off of the Project Gutenberg. But the translations, <laughs> very modern. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of updates, a lot of alliteration. You probably noticed when we were yeah. reading those quotes, there's a lot of things that give it a poetic rhythm and kind of flow to it, which I think you know certainly helps. Certainly helps me feel hear that blood sizzling and boiling <laughs> out of yeah. his eyeball. <laughs> out of his eyeball. Ugh. Yeah, for better or worse, it's something that... Uh, It'll make you reach up and kind of do that. You know, it's like when you see, it's like that phantom limb phenomenon when you see an injury or when something you perceive to be there, it's not. And then you, you reach for it anyway. It's like, the, it's that feeling. It's not the same thing, but it, it'll make you do that. Reach for the eye. Be like, oh yeah. God. Oh my gosh. That's a terrible. <laughs> Is my <laughs> eyes blood boiling? No, that's good. <laughs> and um, in the quote that you pulled too, I was thinking about pulling part of that quote where he compares, um, the people the the two guys that are being killed to puppies i noticed yeah. actually as i was reading through that he continuously when he does describe his men he describes them as like his pets in a lot of ways and they're very like domesticated mm, yeah. and they're like or they're they're like children a lot of the time too so i thought that was pretty interesting um yeah like yeah. more subtle as far as like character work so that we can get a better idea of like how he thinks he's amazing. But <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I, it would be a fascinating study in the entire work to go back and then think, cause there are moments too, like on the Cersei's Island when he saves them mm-hmm. that you think it's because of love and care for his men. He makes a huge speech and show of making sure they're ensuring their safety. And that, I mean, it gets the result, right? So it seems genuine, but right. then who knows if it's just for a selfish, you know, motivation to boast, just to boast or something like that. It's it would make for a pretty interesting consideration, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was again. I given the snippet of the text we had, I don't think that was top of my mind. But you're right; it does add a nice, I don't know, adds a nice question to the work. I think. Yeah. Okay, I think we gave some good quotes, and hey, we overlap pretty well. What do you know? We went for the gory stuff, so. <laughs> We're just suckers for that. <laughs> you got to you gotta speak your truth, I believe, is the expression. Last week was all about sex, and then this week is all about the gore. Yeah, it's going to be one heck of a one-two combo when these <laughs> podcasts finally come out. Those will be, those will be good to promote. Can't wait to, <laughs> can't wait to try and write tastefully about <laughs> sex and violence. Not easy to do. Not easy to do. Well, that's your job. Well, 
<laughs> let's move to the and I, and I do it happily. Um, I'm thrilled, actually. Uh, let's move to the literary corner. This is the educational part of the review when we try and teach you, the listener, something literary about this work. It seemed quite obvious to me. I don't know if you agreed or disagreed. Do you want to jump in on mine this week? Yes, I Okay. I agree. <laughs> okay. What we read was not an epic in itself, but it is from an epic. So we chose the literary term epic. So an epic is a long narrative poem on a grand scale about the deeds of warriors or heroes incorporating myth, legend, folktale, and history. Epics are often of national significance in the sense that they embody the history and aspirations of a nation in a lofty or grandiose manner, and they're kind of celebrated for that. Epics are understood to be oral or literary, so there's kind of two categories. This one is, comes from the oral tradition for sure. Primary epics have been have features in common, such as beginning in Medeus Res, a central figure of heroic, even superhuman caliber, perilous journeys, a strong element of the supernatural, epic similes, descriptive formula and epithets, kennings, and in general, a lofty tone. Does it miss any of those categories even in these chapters, Amanda? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty thorough. And I mean, Penguin's Literary Dictionary obviously pulls from works that they trust, and this collection is from them, so they trust them. But that certainly overlaps with everything. We didn't even discuss a couple of the gods, or at least one god appears in this one, so there's explicit supernatural things. Well, in addition to, you know, the witch, uh, seriously, and the Cyclops, which is a fantastical creature. Yep. There's also cannibals at some point. Um, kind of, th That's a pretty quick little scene, but they're there's a they encounter somebody who they steal their friend and start eating them and they're just a king and queen cannibals but no they it, it checks off all these boxes it also must not be going completely in order because in the first part he mentions Circe but that hasn't happened yet yep. so it, he's definitely telling it he's, he's speaking it out loud it's some kind of frame narrative mm -hmm. yep and so yeah it checks off any of those things did any of those I don't know uh, qualities stand out more than the others to you um, I guess the epic similes he does, um, Homer does use quite a few of those where he's, um, making references to the gods specifically, especially Jove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to look up what a kenning was again. I've already forgotten. It's some kind of metaphor. It's like a simple metaphor swap of like a single word, just like, um, I think the example Penguin gave was instead of. Instead of saying that your ship is a ship, you would call it like my wooden, my wooden bowl or something. You know, it's just like a simple, quick metaphor swap or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I had, to, I had to look that up. And that was a term I had forgotten. But no, there's, I mean, figurative language not pretty thoroughly incorporated into the work. It, it didn't feel difficult to read to me, though, for that. It did, or it didn't feel dense to the point of, you know, difficult to read. I agree. And I think that's also because we've gone through school kind of learning Greek mythology. So it's not like we had to look up the references to the gods and stuff. And it was more yeah, like yeah. bigger gods for the most part. It wasn't really any of the, the lesser deities. So. And thank goodness too. I'm going to use this, that it, what you just said as a segue into the final review segment of this pod. We're going to begin with the, so what's good about it segment where we give the work genuine praise. I thought all of the encounters along the way, even the little micro ones, had just enough depth. Obviously, the Cyclops one and Circe had, th those are long tails, so you get a lot of interest in the plot things occur and there's like weird conflicts. And the, those, I think, worked really well. But even the little ones, when they visit and they're taken in by the, the king who's really nice and he rejects them and the cannibal scene, even the quick ones are just kind of odd and creative enough to keep me 
or at least they kept me kind of enraptured. It it had a Sinbad feeling in that every little adventure was like, oh, this is kind of unique and cool. But the problem with Sinbad, I think we agreed, was just it just wasn't descriptive enough and it jumped too quickly and it didn't flesh things out. Yeah. This one felt like all the characters were a bit lived in. And so like even the Cyclops by the end, you know, I don't I don't know if I'd say I pitied the Cyclops, but it developed that into a character. It was an actual, you know, person that had interactions and thoughts and feelings and what have you. So I thought all of that stuff just kind of worked. It just clicked together. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, my, what I liked about it also was the, the great pacing and especially yeah. pacing plus description. That was really important to me because I didn't want to have to read another Sinbad. And that's what I thought I was going to be reading. Like yeah. an even like an old language Sinbad. Um, yeah. But yeah. With the descriptions, it was great, and also the the similes where they weren't all similes where they incorporated where he incorporated uh, the gods, but there were other similes that I found really interesting too, um, like what mm-hmm. I mentioned with the puppy dogs and the and the the babies, like just that kind of work. I think is really interesting. Yeah, overall it felt, and I I have the Robert Fagel's translation, which is the same one I had in college. I remember that name because it's kind of like the standard translation just because I don't think anyone's tried to one up it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's been like 50 or 60 or 70 years since he translated it, but it's kind of held up as the the best one. Mm -hmm. At any rate, I think the translation is pretty lively. Like it, it does inject a good amount of it must be a bit of interpretation into the into the ancient Greek, I think. Yeah. Were there any similes before we jumped to the official ratings that I don't any of them you wanted to mention? Anything that you remember? I, I can't say I remember one off the top of my head, but I do agree that just in general, the language felt immersive. Like we pulled the quotes from the Cyclops. That scene felt extremely vivid and well-realized. Yeah, there, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I do remember them being very vivid, which is why I was able to like imagine what he was seeing and stuff. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Yeah, and there's and there, for those interested in mythology, those things show up in in pretty clear ways too. There's a god that appears just directly, and so though I thought story wise that was actually kind of a lame moment, but you know, leave it for another day, leave it for another pod, leave it for the deep dive if we do one, if we ever read the whole Odyssey. Can't say I'm up for that, frankly, but maybe you know, maybe <laughs> maybe one of these days. Um, let's move to the official ratings then. This is where we finally recommend or don't recommend this book we rate on a simple three level system it's a yes no or maybe amanda why don't you go first this week should listeners read this book um i said maybe so i okay it's interesting it's got um great descriptions it's uh fast paced i mean i've read these two chapters in like an hour i think so it's like super Mm -hmm. fast um and and the character of Ulysses is complex enough, at, at least in the way of like how you you the reader approach him, just because he's he's kind of a dirtbag in a lot of ways, but also like he wants to come off as a hero, and he's portrayed right, as a hero. Right. so interesting yeah. uh, mix there, which I found interesting anyway. But if I would I didn't want to give it a full on yes, just because I like character work and. Although this mm-hmm. was a lot better than Sinbad as far as the description and, and the way that you can like really get into the stories. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot as far as like character growth and perhaps that's in the, you know, the other uh, chapters towards the end. Um, 
but it's even like Cersei, right? She's like turning these people into pigs and stuff. And then like when she lets them go, she feels bad. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I've suddenly become a good person. I'm like, why? But why? (laughs) Right? So yeah, yeah. Characters aren't developed a whole lot. And that's, that's kind of where I think it fell down for me in a way. But otherwise... I think it's great. So if you don't care as much about like character development like that, this is a great read for you. Especially the side ones. It does yeah. get the, I did, we did get the impression after these two chapters that I think Odysseus would be a fat in total would make for a fascinating study and yeah. character journey. But yeah, the, the, these kind of interstitials, these little episodes he goes on. I don't know if those would like, I really thought the Cyclops was a more complete person than Cersei was. She was, she had very odd moments and passages. I agree with you. And then right. some of it was frankly, some of that, her story is just written off as like, yeah, the gods intervened. They, it was fate. They did, you know, they're in. So anyway, we won't spoil quote unquote, but there's that component that just often feels like a write off in some mythology or, you know, mythology adjacent work. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with a maybe as well. I was thinking maybe a yes, but probably what would pull me back would be just that the Odyssey is a huge endeavor. I don't. Yeah. It's not something people probably want to undertake as kind of I'm you know my summer beach read. I'm taking this to the beach. Maybe <laughs> it'd be fun. It, it's an interesting work. I guess I can at least say this though. What would push me toward a yes would be this was not as intimidating to read as I had remembered. And if you're you know it's one of those such a canonical thing that you can easily build it up in your head. But this is not like some James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, just really dense T.S. Eliot. Again, I don't read Sanskrit, like just doing really wild shit. This is what's not that at all. I think the translation by Fagels is solid. So as we always recommend with a lot of these older texts, if you can get a good translation and an annotated version, I don't be afraid of it. At least if you've right. ever been at all curious, go for it. I think it's also, a more creative and sort of appropriate for the title, like odd text than the Iliad, which I think the Iliad is the one that is more just names of people. And there's a million heroes and there's just tons of speeches about people dying and there's just 10 page funeral speeches all the time. And so I think the Iliad is the one that is far more, cold, I guess I would say. They're both epic, you know, and they mm-hmm. tell these big heroic stories. But this one, I think, just has the creativity and the verve. It's got the weirdness in it. It's got the mythology and the weirdness. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a solid maybe for me. I, I don't think I could push something of this, uh, ende- an endeavor of this size to a yes off of this. But, yeah, it's a very good maybe. Yeah. Made, made me intrigued enough to, like, consider picking it up maybe in the coming years. Yeah, me too. I, Finally. I think that- yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I, I guess there's a reason that we're taught this. <laughs> or other yeah, yeah. Weren't, but <laughs> yeah, I saw its merit even in the couple of short chapters. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the Odyssey or these couple of chapters, Amanda, before we sign off in the review? Uh, nope, I'm good. Okay, coming up next week is something that I just forgot the name of. Do you remember what it it's was? Ildura. Ah. Okay, T.H. Lawrence, that is coming up next week, a writer who one of my old roommates studied quite a lot. I can't say I've encountered a ton of T.H. Lawrence in the past. I know some of it, he has some like famous erotic fiction too, I think, but we've already covered that last week, folks. We're not going back. Well, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Uh, We will if Penguin Drags is back in next week. We do hope you join us next week for that review of T.H. Lawrence, and until that time, we will see you between the classics.